Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, good morning. Am I on? I will be in a minute here. Uh, I'll have to say Happy Father's Day too, because that's uh, it's the day, and I feel uh, blessed, uh, humbled. I've actually wanted to just point out everything I've been reading or thinking about with there we go uh, with Father's Day has come in the avenue of it's a role, and we've got responsibilities to fill as fathers. So as much as we may deserve to be appreciated, there, there comes this work, this responsibility along with it. And I want to highlight that, just say, hey, uh, God's given us some guidance. He's given us encouragement, and, and we need to share that with our dads. And so I just want to kind of emphasize that. As, as I get to fill that, that responsibility, that role, it's, it's fun, but it's also a lot of work. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. All right. How many of you know what the Farmer's Almanac is? Anybody? All right, good. More hands than I thought. An almanac is just uh, an annual publication. Usually it talks about something. And in, in the case of the Farmer's Almanac, it's, uh, it talks a lot about the moon and the stars and the sun and their rotation and their general patterns. But it goes into how that impacts life. And what I like about it is it's, it's almost humbling. The more you look at it from, from God's point of view, we're not in control of that much, really. Uh, mostly just our responses is all we're in control of. But when we look at that and we learn, it helps to affect our attitude towards life. Now, there's some things that are kind of funny, they're silly, and they're, they're good conversation starters. And so today... It, today may be the best day if you want to do these things. Um, potty train your toddlers. Um, it, the line of the moon and the sun, their pressure, the, the way the gravity works, this might be a really good day. Um, there's also uh, wean your humans or your, or your animals, either one. It, it works for both of them. You could cut firewood, dig holes, or clean your windows. Um, I know this is exciting, isn't it? One last bit of trivia, and I just laugh at it because I find it interesting, but it doesn't always apply to life. It's more personal between me and God. But um, tomorrow morning is a full moon. Does anybody know what the June full moon is called? Uh, no, it's actually a strawberry moon. So, uh, so tomorrow at 7 o'clock, and last night it was beautiful. It was light all night almost. But also tomorrow is the summer solstice. It's the first day of summer. It's the longest daylight hours of, the day, of any of the year. And it's the first time since 1948 that those two things, the summer solstice and a full moon, have happened on the same day. So there you go. What a way to start, right? Well, welcome. To, I think we've got a couple visitors. We're a little bit light, but this is, uh, this is what we have. This is the way God's designed it today. Welcome to our visitors. We have, we've said it earlier, we're in this third week of our series on Philippians, we're talking about joy overall, and, and Paul wrote this to a church that was about 10 years old. He'd planted it 10 years earlier. He's writing it from prison. He's encouraging them, and I was thinking about, you know, being a dad, our kids, what age, you know, at 10 years old, they're asking a lot of questions, and that's our job to fill that, encourage them, and explain these things to them. So as we go through this, look at what Paul's encouraging people to do. And 
Specifically in chapter 3, he's saying there's a joy in believing in Jesus Christ. I want you to kind of think about that. And, and, and what does that mean to you? Um, we've mentioned earlier that happiness depends on happenings or your surroundings. And I got to thinking about that, and that's so relative. You may be really uh, joyful or happy about something, and the person next to you thinks, well, that's just the way it ought to be. They assume that life ought to be that way. So they're not deriving any joy out of it, no happiness. They are upset maybe if they don't get it. There's not a true joy. Joy is different, though. Joy is a relief. Joy is a, it prompts a peace within us. It's derived from this understanding in God, but it's who he is, but it's our response in him. And I want you to kind of get this. I'm going to slow down and dwell on that part right there, that the joy actually comes when we respond to give God glory. It's not just how we feel. In Philippians 3.1, when it was read earlier, that first part of the verse, it says, finally, my brothers rejoice in the Lord. And we think about that as a command, but it's more of an encouragement to think through what God has done for us. It's not only our feelings of peace or rest or comfort in God that bring us joy. It's the action or the emotion that result in knowing him, knowing him a little bit deeper. The joy comes in the response. I don't, some of you may have heard of Jonathan Edwards. He's a great preacher from the past. And when I read this, he called it the most liberating discovery to realize that God takes joy in us. He, he takes joy in our true worship. So what we're singing this morning, those words, if we're giving that back to God, that true worship, it's our first response to the happenings in our life based on knowing Jesus. And I want you to think about this. I'm going to tell you that I just switched gears on you. I went from talking about joy for us, our response, our understanding of joy, our feeling of joy, to God feeling joy. Those two go together. If we get true joy, it's giving him glory and he gets joy. Okay? I want you to go with this. I want to take, take you through this today. So I want you to focus on the response, our everyday actions, and how we respond back to God. And I want to talk specifically, specifically about Philippians 3, verse 14. Paul says, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. The message says it a little bit different, the message version. It says, I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning, beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm often running and I'm not turning my back. So that was a big intro, but let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning together, but from different places in life, different situations and different uh, Christian maturity. I pray that every ear, every heart, every mind will have the attitude of David in Psalm 63. He says, my heart, my soul follows hard after you. Give us an understanding of this relationship that you want, that you desire to have with us, and then a courage on our part to call on you in every response. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I like authors. I like to read a lot, and I find inspiration in these, and hopefully I can convey this to you. But A.W. Tozer, he wrote a book called The Pursuit of God. So I'm trying to give you a message 
about pursuing God, and he wrote a whole book on it. So I'm going to mention the first chapter, and it's called Following Hard After God. And he got it from that psalm, Psalm 63, verse 8. He says in there, the modern scientist has lost God amid, amid the wonders of his world. We Christians are in real danger of losing the wonders of his word. So the world and his word. We have almost forgotten that God is a person. We're made in his image, so we're people, but he's, he's got these attributes like a person. And as such, he can be cultiva cultivated as any person can. It is inherent in personal personality to be able to know other personalities. But full knowledge of one personality by another cannot be achieved by one encounter. So that first time you come to Jesus, that's not it. It's the ongoing. It's only after long and loving mental intercourse that the full possibilities of both can be explored. So just as scientists, as they become more proud of their discoveries and they feel like they can explain things to you, we can know his word and we can try to explain it. We can apply it some ways. But if we stop giving it back to him and asking him to reveal it to us, we've lost that. We've taken a pride in it. And we need to not do that. And this, this ongoing relationship is what he's looking for. He designed us for that. So how many of you call or contact somebody every day or every week Maybe you don't say it this way, but the reason you do it is to build a relationship. We all do it every day. Every, we, we have these relationships that we make an effort to, to grow them. Well, that's what he's saying here, frequent communication. It's following hard after God. We've got to do this intentionally or on purpose. So, so what is our goal here? And I, I kind of was trying to think how to say this, but it's really, it's two parts. One at some point, we needed to, or we still do, we needed to come to God. We needed to come to Jesus and give our lives to him, to trust him with it. And, and that's this, this honesty in who we are. We're sinners. But then the next step is a dissatisfaction with staying there. It's not just walking up or getting on your knees and praying to God. It's a dissatisfaction in staying there. You don't want to be unrighteous. You can't stay there. You have this relationship with Jesus, and he's filling you all the time. He's ready, pursuing you, coming after you. You need to respond and act. So that's the first step. And Jesus has done that. That salvation part, he's taking care of that part of it for you. The second part, the hard part, the working part, is the sanctification. The Holy Spirit is working with us daily. This is where the challenge comes. It's relating to God and expecting, and I mean this, expecting with your mind, your heart, and your soul that the Holy Spirit will work renewal in you, that he'll restore you from past sins. He'll make you new in that, and he'll give you this, this opportunity and this power to do a more righteous living. Okay, so that's the first part. We're honestly coming to God, wanting to move forward. And then the second part is what we're looking at, this upward call of God to look at Jesus. This is the time when God calls each believer into heaven. And this is going to come. It's not here yet. Into his presence. This is the moment we receive the prize that Paul's talking about, that he's referring to. It's been unattainable here. We can't be perfectly righteous here in a sin-filled world. But we're working towards it. But our goal is that when he will come back and he'll take us, he'll give us a new life and, life and we'll be perfectly righteous. Okay, 
That's the setup. That's what we're looking for. Now, what do we do here? Well, Paul starts to give us a picture of it. He goes on and we see his goal. The goal of his life, his lifelong aspiration, is the smile of Jesus when they meet in heaven. And he calls it pressing onward or pressing toward this goal. So if we think about pressing toward, and I know you've heard this before, but um, there's a lot of athletic uh, analogies, and um, it works, so let's use it again. Uh, Press toward expresses the idea of pursuit after or to follow earnestly. Paul keeps his eye on the goal, and he does not allow anything to deter him from his goal. Like a marathon runner, he keeps his eye on the finish line. Now, you think about a marathon, it's 26.2 miles, it's a long time. For most people, it's four to five hours. For the really good athletes, we won't talk about them, they're two hours. But, uh, so, you, so you have time. Paul's not going to waste his time, um, you know, talking to the bystanders or going to the crowd and waving. His goal is the finish line, so he keeps his eye on the goal. And then you have to remember that Satan's job, his task, his goal is to distract you. So all that wastes time and it it prevents you from getting to the goal. So we want to keep our eye on the prize and keep straining toward it, keep pressing on. The goal is not yet arrived. In fact, we look for our Savior's words, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things and I will make you a ruler over many. That's in Matthew 25, verse 21. And I would love to... Just take that as a message one of these days and try to develop in your minds this picture so you have this goal that you're straining towards. But I can't do it today. All right, so why is this our goal? And I I was trying to think of how, you know, what's our alternative? If we don't have God, we really have thrown out a lot of hope. The only thing that you have outside of this, what God offers is work. Some kind of work, some kind of works, you know, do good, um, earn your salvation, and that won't work. So this is our goal, and this is what God's laid out for us. I want you to understand beyond our personal salvation that God wants a relationship with you. He's pursuing us. He wants a relationship with each one of us. And I know, you know, to fully understand that, it's, it's relatively impossible to understand all that God has for us, but it's our job to continue to pursue it. And I have a reference later on to being blindfolded, to not looking around later on. We want to keep looking at that goal and pursuing him. We have to understand who God is, and that's going to take a lifetime. We have to understand sin and our nature and how that sin separates us from. We cannot be physically in his presence with sin in our lives. So we, so we need righteousness. We need perfect righteousness to be with God. That's why this goal is so important. We underst- need to understand the idea of eternity. And we talked about it pre-service here. Try to explain to your children what, it is, what, what eternity is, and we can't. We can give them some pictures. We can give them some ideas. But then throw in to be with God for eternity or to be without God. We have God right now, and as bad as we have it some days and the struggles we have, that's with him. I, we can't even fathom what it's like, the struggles, the, the torture, the 
just the unlivability of not being with God for eternity. So here again, this is why we have this goal. And, and he set it up to not reveal all this at one point. He set it up so that we will be in relationship with him and take joy in stri striving or straining or pressing on, pressing toward. All right, so this third chapter specifically is called, or generally is joy in believing. And Paul's trying to get this across. They're, they're not new believers. They've been doing church, living as Christ followers, but he's encouraging them to keep on straining for this. So when we get this, what Paul says is we will discover there's a fullness in our joy. There's a completeness in this source. It's doing life with God. That's where the joy comes in. There's an underlying sense of comfort or assurance. And that word means a lot. It means a lot to me in, in that when you're trying to make decisions for other people, you're leading other people, if you have this certainty or this sureness about where you're going, it's a lot easier to do that. It's a lot easier to lead other people, to, to even have confidence in what road you're on. This sureness or this certainty in our heart is that we trust that he knows what's best, that he knows all the details, and that ultimately he'll bring you through your struggles. And now I said it in several different flavors there, but I want you to get that you have to make this decision to trust him. You have to know in your heart that God's got this. It's, it may not be your timing, it may not be your plan, but he will bring you through it. We just sang it a while ago, I have decided. I have decided to follow Jesus. Well, I'm going to tell you a little bit of story. Maybe this will all fit in here and this application. Um, to begin with, I'm very humbled, and it happens frequently, and I'm, I'm proud of this. I'm humbled that people look to our family as, as a guide, kind of look up to us. Uh, as parents, too. And um, I like to brag on our kids, and it's fun. Um, Michaela holds a standard that I get to, to talk about on an intellectual level and how well she's doing and the things she understands and the things she writes. The boys, not that they don't do that, but they also, <laughs> <laughs> they do things that, that are they're just out of the ordinary kind of, I mean, they're boy things, but, but they have fun and one builds on the other and, and they'll go and the ideas they come up with are, are fun. And we explore and I've got pictures of new crawfish that we found. I didn't catch the snake, you know, just being out in the wilderness yesterday. So anyway, I say all that because we still have struggles and we still have troubles. But for this application, they're going to be opportunities, Okay. So two weeks ago, our family traveled to attend a convention. And this was the third year in a row that we've attended this convention, and we had made uh, a lot of plans. Plans off from work, and, and that's just not me. I mean, I had to schedule my days off, but Sherry's got to schedule what's going on at her house. Michaela works outside the home, now two jobs, and she's taking her classes online. So she's got to schedule that time. Jack is working outside the home, so he's got to work with his and I know you don't want to ask your, your boss for time off. For, you just don't. As a guy, you don't want to do that. And so he scheduled off. And then Tucker and Luke each have a mowing business, so they had to schedule with their customers when they were going to be able to mow. So this was a big job, a big deal, planning to go to this convention. We had to plan for the hotels. We, had to, we actually packed our lunches to help keep costs down, and, and it also helps keep us all together 
when we do things, simple things like that, eating lunch together. We also had coordinated with some other families that we've met before that we've had other interaction with, and we love being with them. So we had all that to anticipate being with them. Well, on the way up, it's, it was in Naperville. We're talking and we're singing, and we do that a lot. That's our thing. Um, and everything's going along pretty well, and we're about halfway there. We're on schedule, and there's like the change in the attitude. And everybody's been joking around, and all of a sudden, I noticed this lull in the back seat. And so I started asking some questions while we're driving. I'm trying to decide, you know, figure out what's going on. And, you know, boil it all down, I finally kind of understood that two, at least two of the kids really didn't want to go because they're thinking, oh, we've got to listen to these speakers. We've got to sit in classrooms or auditoriums, and we could be at home fishing or hiking or just being at home. Uh, they love to be at home. Well, at this point, I'm bewildered. I'm like, where did this come from? You know, how could we, we, we had this big plan, we put all this effort into it, why did this change an hour and a half down the road? And I'm thinking, I know that there's going to be other young people there that we, we love to be around, that they love to be around. I know in all likelihood they're going to meet other people that they like to be around and make new friendships because it happens every year. I know that our family usually has a great time when we're together, and especially traveling, just being going somewhere, we have a good time. I'm thinking about all this, and I also am certain, I, I have a certainty that they're going to hear something, learn something that they can apply, and they're going to enjoy it. It's going to make their lives better. But I also have learned over the years that I can't just tell them how to think. I can't tell them to just make this, uh, you know, just do the best, you know, make this trip the best that you can. I have to let them figure it out. So I put up with some sulking, and I put up with some pouting, and I put up with some dragging behind. And I tried not to be too sarcastic, because I have that, <laughs> I know that language too. Um, but I also prayed. You know, Sherry and I were both frustrated, but we were both honestly praying. And our prayer was that God would help them to see and change their hearts and change the circumstances so that their minds would come back in line with us. Not that we were right, but that was the plan we had, and he was clearly in this. So it was an expectation in our prayers that God was working. And this is the whole point. I'm not going to go into all the other details of the trip, but I want you to know that we are in relationship with Jesus, and we claim that. We're also in relationship with our families. And if you remember that talk I gave on stress about the cross, our relationship with God, and then our relationship with others, that crossbar, it's all interrelated. It's directly impacted this relationship with Jesus and our relationship with others. We have that expectation the Holy Spirit is working in their hearts and ours to grow us more like Jesus. And we don't want to compromise our values, but we also don't want to jeopardize our family relationships or this time that we have with our kids. Understand, dads, and moms, but dads, this is a powerful time when they're young and in your house under your influence. It's a mindset that we're not, gonna, we're not in control of everything, that we don't control the circumstances, we don't control how others respond, but we can control our own responses and we can control our actions within this authority. You under, understand your authority and your role and you respond within that and then you give it all to God. You expect him to work in time, in his time, and his omniscience. And he'll work in your lives.
So how did everything work out? Well, in two words, it worked out very well. And just briefly, um, what, what we did when we finally got everybody engaged, it took about half a day, really, after that to get everybody kind of back on board. It was an overnight, and I could give you some really good details. It's kind of funny, but um, we got to hear a guy who was supposed to be the first, the pilot on the first plane that went down September 11th, 2001, but he was bumped by a senior pilot, so he ended up not being the pilot. He got to watch the news of when that plane crashed and where it crashed, and then he had to figure out who bumped him because he didn't even know, and he knew that pilot. Well, this speaker talked about his, uh, his history, his training, his job, his work, his family, but then what, he got, what got to us was he told about how that day changed everything because it gave him a platform to go talk about Jesus in public. I mean, he was already doing it in private, but all of a sudden God now set up the circumstances for him to go talk about it in public. And he has that ministry still today. It was moving. It was good for all of us. We were also able to reconnect with friends, to meet new ones. I'm telling you, God is good. And know that. God is good. We were inspired. We were rejuvenated as a couple, Sherry and I were, but as a family, we were pulled together again. We had things to talk about. The kids went to some talks that we didn't go to, and we were, you know, we were pulled back together. So God redeemed that. But it wouldn't have been the case if we would have tried to take control and change the plans, maybe just ditch the plans and forget it. We could have done that. Or worse yet, and I think I say this because I think it would have been worse if we would have been mad and resentful and, and let that keep going because we wouldn't be sitting there listening for God and the words he had for us. We would have been thinking about why we're right and why everybody else is wrong. Okay, you, you, we have to get past that and we've got to get back into this relationship with God. We're not perfect. And I said I'm humbled by it. I'm proud, but I'm humbled but Paul says it in verses 12 through 14 there. This, I'm going to read from the message. He goes, I'm not saying that I have this all together. I have that I've made it. But I'm well on my way, reaching out for Christ who has so wondrously reached over for me. He reached down to me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself as an expert in all of this. But I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. Well, I have a clip, and I, I think a lot of you have probably seen this movie. It's Facing the Giants. And like this story of our family that I was just telling you, it wasn't really about our family. It's about God working in our lives. It's about our attitude, our response back to him. This clip is about pressing into something you believe in. It's about having faith in something you cannot see and pushing through self-doubt to go beyond where you have been in the past. And I'll say, whenever it starts to roll, it's fine. Uh, this, is an, this clip is early in the movie, kind of earlier in their season as they're getting ready to, to train. To, the season's underway. They've had some losses, and they need uh, to be refocused. All right. Oh. You guys didn't know that I'm also Coach Crowey, right? Yeah. Uh, that's, and, um, there are so much in that clip, and it's going to be tough for me to stay on track. Uh, for you, anybody that's a new Christian, there are some good elements in there 
about individual effort and choice and straying forward. And I want you to hear that, everybody hear that. But for you mature Christians and you dads, sorry, you, you are the most influential person in your kids' lives. And they see what you do and it matters. It, it's going to matter for eternity. And when you get into that routine with them and you've got that relationship with Jesus going, you become the leader for other people and there's others around you. We don't have time to, to waste. We, we have got work to do. We've got to reach out to the people around us. And our kids are first and they're there and they are the most important in our spouses. But we've got to understand that that work's not done. We don't have the, uh, the privilege of having goal lines. It's different for each one of us. We can't look up. Okay, I got to quit because I've got to go through and cover what this, some of the points I wanted to bring out of there. He kept saying, oh, first, I'm sorry, notice the emotion in there. And that's something that I, Tozer and, and Edwards were referring to early when I read is that this relationship with God creates an emotion in us. It creates an action. It, it, we do something. We say something. We give praise back to God. We've got to have this emotion. He says to leave it all on the field. This life is, we've got to spend this life. You have 24 hours a day, every day. Spend it to bring glory to him. Don't waste it. I like the story of our family. I'm sorry. Uh, this is the emotion that we need to have that gives us that drive to act. We don't need to be emotional. We just need to act with emotion. It needs to be powerful for men inside of us. We've got to choose righteous living. To relate with God with this emotion. To be, and I don't want to tell you how to act, how it's going to look like, but there's got to be some stirring inside of you because of your faith. All right. He goes over and over again, choose your best, choose to give your best. He says, I don't want you to give up at a certain point. That's why he was blindfolded. He was already thinking, well, practice is 20, so he wants me to do a little bit more. I'll go to the 30. And coach says, no, quit thinking about that. I'm going to blindfold you. He goes, even if you can go, you can't go to the 30. I, I think you can go to the 50. And God's telling us that all the time. I have hopes for you. I have something more for you than what you're used to. And another thing, do your best. Don't do somebody else's best. I don't like grades for that reason because it allows people to quit when they got to the level that they're expected to. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Don't look around at what everybody else is doing. Do your best. This extra weight on his back. You know, he said, I can go to the 50 without somebody. Life is physically straining. But you've got to make your mind up. Do you, you caught where the coach said, you negotiate with your body. You find more. Because that was a conscious choice in his mind. We have decided to follow Jesus. We don't make choices to do something else. We negotiate with our body. We give it all. We leave it all on the field. And encouragement. We've got to continue to press on. But we've got to find people that encourage us to press on. And leave the people that don't, that detract us. Remember, behind that is Satan. He wants to distract us. 
we've got this measuring tool. And Paul tells us about it again later on. We're going to read that. God's right there. And that coach is down there with him. And God is with us. He's saying, keep going, keep going. You've got 10 more steps, five more steps. And we don't know when the end is coming. It could be today, and it may not be for hundreds of years. All right. Don't quit till you've got nothing left. This attitude. When God is working in your life, others will be watching you. And I don't want you to do it for them to give you credit. I want you to do it for them for their salvation. That needs to be a burden for you. We need to keep our eyes on the prize, on this goal. We need to press on. That's where we need our faith. We need to understand our goal. So we need to keep learning it, looking for it, looking to see what is this heaven going to look like? And what's this relationship now that God's given us little pictures about? It may not be, I mean, I got to say this the right way because this is powerful. We need to be able to see it clearly, even if we can't see it. That picture in our mind, we need to be able to see it there. It takes faith. It's got to be, we've got to be certain. So Brock is blindfolded. He literally can't see and he has to have some faith. He trusts his coach. He trusts the field. He trusts a lot. By being blindfolded, he's putting a lot of trust in his other senses. The coach is like Paul and encouraging him to drive on. We need to have some of that intensity. Even Brock is doubting, and he thinks he doesn't have enough strength. But when he starts to say it, coach says, no, you've got it. You negotiate. You've got it in you. And that part at the end, when Brock is like shot, he's in, he just drops the ground and he says, Brock, look up. You're in the end zone. That's like Jesus saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, but right now he's saying, you still got some work to do. Let's keep driving on. Let's stress, go forward. Like the end zone in that football game, we strive for this upward call to, of Christ. So Christ is calling us. God's saying, look up. This is the relationship now that leads to right living or righteousness. So we're straining, we're working forward, we're trying to get better. We're not there yet, but we're striving. And the part we cannot see is to be fully righteous in Christ's presence when he returns. So now, what's next? Or better yet, like the other coach said, who's next? Is it you or is it somebody around you that you need to encourage? I want for each of you a deeper personal relationship with God. Even if you're the most mature Christian here, I want it deeper. I want you to go more. I want you to have an attitude of following hard after God of your soul thirsting after him, to press onward. That's what Paul's getting at. And I can imagine him you know, smiling and having a peace about this, but also urgently striving, telling us to, to keep driving. It's ironic, I think, not really, but that we have a very relaxed uh, worship today. That we're talking about joy at the same time that we're talking about driving on and striving more and looking for harder to, to keep going. It's just a, a God irony. You know, you can feel it. He's saying, just put all the rest away, and I want you to focus only on me and our relationship. Okay, so with this understanding to strive on, how do we do that? Well, Paul goes on in verses 17 through 21. And I'm going to read this from, it's from the message. He says, stick with me, friends. Keep track of those you see running the same course, headed for the same goal. There are many out there 
and they're trying to take other paths, choosing other goals. And they're trying to get you to go along with them. I've warned you of them many times, and sadly, I have to do it again. All they want is Easy Street. They hate Christ's cross. But Easy Street is a dead-end street. Those who live there make their bellies their gods. Belches are their praise, and all they can think about is their appetite, so their desires. And we live in that culture. People think about their own desires all the time. He goes on to say, but there's far more to life for us. Like Isaac said earlier, we are citizens of heaven. And that's with an exclamation mark, emotion. That changes our life. We are citizens now. So that changes how we live. We're waiting for the arrival of the Savior, the Master, Jesus Christ. So that's all we're doing here. We're waiting for him to come back. But while we're waiting, we have this work. We've got to press on. He will transform us, our earthly bodies, into these glorious bodies like his own. He'll make us beautiful and whole with that same powerful skill by which he is putting everything as it should be under and in him, around him. This power is the same power. And I want, I, I, I kind of, it hit me about, I don't know, six or eight months ago, this power that we always talk about, it's the power that created the universe. It's the power that rose Jesus from the dead. And it's the same power that we get to call on internally and to work in our lives. And we're asking him, we're expecting him to use that power to work in our lives. You remember when I, I mentioned the farmer's almanac, it's kind of silly, but there's an order that God keeps this all going. It's that powerful, and he offers that to us. So there's this joy in this universal order and this uniqueness and discovering it, but we've got to continue to look through to him. So here we are, back at verse 14. We're pressing on. He says, but I have, I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. So what this means today for each of us is to pursue God, to read his word with an expectant heart. I think I've made that point clear. To lead your family with God's plan, not your plan. You know, don't look around at what everybody else is doing so much. I mean, we can be wise about it, but God has a plan and it's in his scriptures. He wants to reveal that and share that with you. When you pray, Know in your heart he's going to answer and, and speak to him like you're speaking to the person sitting right next to you or on the other end of the phone that you are building this relationship with. When you pray, pray that way. When you are worshiping here, come here with an expectant heart. When you are singing these words, it's so powerful and it moves you. It moves you to the point that you're going to be a changed person when you walk out of here. When you pray, knowing that your kids are being rebellious, and, but, but God's going to work in this. There's a peace about it. It's still frustrating, but there's a peace about it. Oh, gosh, I almost went political for a second. Um, back on this. <laughs> God has, he, he's got this opportunity to bring him, oh, when we serve others. It's not just about them. It's not just about us getting glory when we serve others. It's about bringing God glory. He set these things up for us to do. So when you get offered the opportunity to give somebody a ride, the cool drink of water, to, to speak to them, God's setting that up. And you've got to know it in your heart beforehand. Don't doubt him. Go with it. I have one more clip. 
It's from the same movie, and I hope it kind of puts the final touches on this whole thing about why we do what we do. Um, there's an overall theme in this movie, Facing the Giants, about giving God the glory. And it's a decision before you even do something. He'll say the phrase preparing for rain in there. That means you know God's going to do his end of it, but, but you've got to do your part first. You've got to prepare the field, plant the seed, and then you pray for rain. He'll bring the crop. He'll bring the increase. All right. I was going to cut that clip off a little bit earlier, but you had to see the scoreboard. So <laughs> there's another clip later on in the movie, and this is what it's really about, is the prayer afterwards in the locker room when they, <laughs> when they give glory back to God. They... Like I said, the, the movie is about bringing glory to God. And all the way through, they use those phrases like preparing for rain, or we're going to praise him no matter what the outcome. So it's not about winning the game. They've been losing all year. They've never beat this team. A couple highlights. I don't, uh, Bobby Lee, the big coach on the other side, always had that sucker in his mind. I, I just occurred to me, you know, uh, the, the Eagles coach used him. He's like, so we, can, we use Satan. We know that he's going to distract us, but there are times that benefits us. So there's this whole attitude, every part of our life when we're trusting in God, that he'll work out those details, even when Satan's trying to work against us. So we need to prepare for rain. We need the Father. His hands are up, and he's, he's just given it all. Everything is out there for his son. That's what we need to be. We need to get to that point where we know God wants us so badly that our lives are turned around, that we're following him. And then we need to turn around and be that for somebody else. Show them this way. Live it. Paul, close, uh, yeah, Paul closes with this encouraging to stand firm, to press on. And we need to be reminded of that. In fact, he kind of starts out chapter 4, verse 1, the way he started up chapter 3 in rejoicing. And he says, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and I long for them, my joy and my crown. He calls them this, this church. He's calling them my joy and my crown. He says, Stand firm and thus in the Lord. Firm thus in the Lord. So he's talking about this joy and believing and how you go about it. We need to press on and we need to pass this on. We sang it, I'm going to say it again. I wrote it here while we were singing. I have decided to follow Jesus. There is no turning back. Let's pray. Father, Lord Jesus, you are our Lord. It is good and it's right to be in your presence. And I pray for every soul in this place and everyone that listens later on that they're overcome by you and that they bring you glory, everything that they do, that, that we all will have an attitude of pressing on, of hearing your word, and knowing you want a strong and a deep and an everlasting relationship with us. And then that we act on it, that we reach out until the day that you come, that you return. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.